Welcome to Boutique Builders. In this series, we have sought to get to grips with what encourages people to launch their own investment ventures, as well as understanding what they wish they'd done differently or known before they started. So far in the series, we've heard about working with existing fund manager talent to leverage new ideas and the pains of launching your first venture in a post-pandemic world. This week, our guest is Adam Davis, CEO of UK-based group Velux Capital. Unlike our previous episodes, Adam was not charged with launching the company, but he was brought into an established group to impart his experience and lift it to a new level of growth. In our discussion, Adam tackles the issue of managing teams in a world where flexible working has become the norm, what makes sense when it comes to developing new strategies, and what success for a boutique asset manager actually looks like. So we are talking about boutiques and why boutiques came and why Velux came to fruition. And I guess the big question, the one we we're asking everybody is, why did you take that leap? What made you want to go onto the sort of the more independent route? Um, well, Velux wasn't the first leap I took. So I um, started my career as an operations analyst um, at a, a fairly mid to large size hedge fund um, quite a few years ago now. And um, I felt I wanted to uh, do something where I was a bit more involved in the different elements of the business. So I went straight from that job into a startup. So I was very fortunate to have um, help um, from a couple of the PBs to get introduced to a startup. So I went straight into a $10 million launch um, as head of operations. Um, and that was a huge learning curve. But it was it's right in at the deep end, um, learning about all the different parts of the business, um, learning a lot about my job that I didn't already know, a huge amount of help from PBs. Um, but I just, I just loved it. I, I thrived in it. And um, uh, then from learning everything there, I decided that I wanted to actually um, improve upon what I'd done um, and went to another startup and end, ended up actually working for three startups before I went to Velox, which was a more of a, a spin-out than, than a startup. So then you, you are CEO of Velox. How did that come to fruition? And, and what does that actually involve, if that's not too specific? Yeah, so I, I was brought into Velox. So I knew um, the uh, two partners at Velox, Dimitri and Jeremy, um, from my uh, first job in the industry. Um, back when I said that, that kind of medium to large um, investment manager that I was working at. And I'd stayed in touch with Dimitri over the years um, because he was at times thinking about um, spinning their strategy out into its own company, uh, Valance Capital. Um, so uh, effectively, he brought me in to, to do that because I'd, I'd had experience at the three different startups um, in the kind of 12 to 14 years preceding that. One thing that I'm interested in is sort of the lessons that people learn. And you talked about learning more things about the operations role in that first role. When you came into Velox, what lessons were you able to use from your previous experience? Was there anything immediate you thought, well, I've handled this before, I've dealt with this before, I can see the challenge here. Where we are now, and we've talked about recruitment, we've talked about bringing people into a company. Can we expand on that? How do you go about that? And with, with a boutique mentality, does that make it harder to bring people into your organization? What challenges are there? It's definitely harder. I think you need to find a certain type of person. Um, you need probably more uh, a jack of all trades than uh, than a specialist. Um, but one of the things that's certainly key from my perspective is about creating the right atmosphere, creating a compelling um, atmosphere to people, a compelling culture. Because at the end of the day, majority of the time when you're a boutique, you're not going to have the job security or the immediate pay levels, at least anyway, um, of the uh, of the larger funds. So you need to create something that is compelling that will bring 
interesting and, and people buy into the story to get alignment there. Because if you don't have alignment, you'll get a churn and a churn is terrible for a, for a small firm. Now, how do you tackle things like working from home as well? Because we have gone through the pandemic and that's created a whole new dynamic for the way that people work. What challenges does that pose for somebody? Um, a, a, a lot of challenges. Um, so uh, we, we had actually started before the pandemic, we had um, started doing one day a week. So it was part of um, a lot of work we'd been doing in the firm since 2018 into how to create the right culture and how to get the best from people. Because I'm a firm believer, um, I mean, I think it's, it's probably quite obvious, but I'm a firm believer that um, people are the biggest asset in a boutique manager because it's the majority of your cost, it's the majority of your resource, um, and it's effectively your company. Um, so we had started uh, looking at a one day a week and we implemented that, I think about six months before the pandemic hit. So when the pandemic did hit, we were, we were well prepared for it. Um, not, not to say it came as a bit of a shock, but we had everything in place. So people went straight away to work in five days a week from home. The real struggle was then was, was getting people back and not in the sense of the, um, you know, forcing people to come back, but what reason are you giving them to come back? Because over the space of 18 months, they'd realized that they could do or some or a large part, if not all of their job at home without the inconvenience of traveling, with the convenience of being able to deal with more home type things, with childcare, things like that. So how do you get them back? And obviously you can ask them to come back. You can say, okay, we want people back three days a week, but how do you justify that? Because I think that's where the problem um, seemed to come um for us in that we had people back in the office but why were they there they were, we were all just sitting at our desk doing our job exactly the same as if we were sitting at home doing our job so we had this challenge of trying to find how do you get you know more collaboration more interaction to build those um the uh, the team and atmosphere that's going to be more innovative because I mean, everyone's seen what's happened in Mark pandemics is, is the perfect example, but you know, we've had the war as well uh, in Ukraine and you realize that, especially as a boutique manager where, where risk is higher, you've typically got one product. You might have more, but you typically got one. You need to be more innovative. Otherwise you will struggle when there's these huge changes in the market. So what have you done? What, how, how did you address that to make people feel more involved or more um, innovative in a way? We're still still trying to address it. I don't think there's any there's any clear answer, and and it changes. And I think that's the key. You've got to realise that um, to create an, an innovative culture, you've got to be quite innovative to do that. Um, because um, when we first came back from the pandemic, we were all fairly experienced people. We had ten plus years experience in the industry each, some much more, and you don't necessarily need or not for five days a week at least. Anyway, you don't necessarily need that. Um, collaboration um, or you don't necessarily see that people don't appreciate the value of the collaboration as much because they, they feel I know what I'm doing I can just kind of do that from home but then things change and we um, in the beginning of uh, 2022 started an internship scheme our women investment um, internship scheme and we have now have two interns in the company and you realize that these people are typically younger um, they don't have the experience they need more guidance and whilst they are typically more tech savvy and can deal with a few days a week at home using teams or whatever software is being used to get that level of interaction with their line manager. They do hugely benefit from being in a team culture in the office as well. But then it comes back to the same question of 
creating a, a, a team, an office pl a place where you can actually tangibly see that collaboration and benefit of people talking to each other and being next to each other. You talked in that about having a boutique, which is, is usually one product, a flagship product. Can we talk about that? What pressures does that create? I know that with Velux, you've got um, what we would consider more of an alternative, a long short strategy, mm -hmm. which is in link with Montlake and being offered in that way. But in terms of that product and its, I'll try not to say the word pressures for every single question or challenges, but with one focus, what does that mean for you as CEO? Are you looking to launch more products or is it all the efforts on one product? Where does that sit? Well, as, as CEO, my job is definitely around, or one of the biggest parts of my job is definitely around business growth. Um, and the number of different ways we can we can try to try to look at that. Um, we have an Article 9 product, sorry, an Article 8 product, an SFDR Article 8 product, and we've been looking at launching an SFDR Article 9 product, which would effectively be um, a carve out of our existing strategy. Um, we spent since uh, 2018, um, two years in leading up to integrating um, sustainability factors into our investment strategy. Um, and we feel that that's a natural next step for us. Um, but the, challenge, the challenges for the existing strategy are the same as challenges that many people in, in the alternative industry are facing, especially this year with the rise in interest rates, when you have a strategy where you're targeting six to 9% a year, that suddenly doesn't become as compelling as it previously did. Um, so it kind of takes me back to um, speaking about how you need to try and have a collaborative, innovative environment to try and, to try and get ahead of these things um, and looking at other products or ways in which we can adapt our products are, are, are aspects that I definitely work on. Some, some from a business perspective, some with the investment team. I suppose that's wearing those two hats then. It's, it's the business growth and the investment-led ideas as well and, and marrying those two things. Exactly, because um, without, without the investment side, obviously there is no business. Um, the, uh, and I guess one of the keys to, to having a successful boutique is performance. You can't, you can't get away from that in any product, really. If you're a larger manager and you have 25 products, then yes, you can have one or two that don't perform over certain years. There's very few CIOs out there that can pre perform year in, year out. So you know that you're going to have some kind of flat or small down years, uh, at least in the strategy that we deal with, market neutral, obviously, long short, you can have some bigger down years. Um, so you need to be able to plan to cope with those. Can we move on to, there's, there's two sort of more theoretical questions, which one is tougher, one is, we'll end on the nicer one of the two, <laughs> I think. But if you could do it again, what would you change? I guess is, is the second to last question, the penultimate question. Is there anything that stands out of, if we were to, if say you had been at the launch of Velox, this isn't to denigrate Dimitri and his colleagues' work, but if there was something you would change from the outset, is there anything or is there anything you would have done personally different? I've been in that position a number of times from working on three different startups and one spin out, and you always try to do things different, but the, the environment's changing a lot all the time. I remember in one of the first startups I worked in, dealing with due diligence with investors where outsourcing your operations was frowned upon. Whereas now it's almost standard for many people to do that. And, and things like that keep changing all the time. So there's always things that you, that you feel you can do better. I mean, we've got AI coming through now and people are trying to figure out how they can utilize that in, in an investment manager structure. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing that never really changes, even with AI, um, is people. 
trying to get the best people. And um, I'm not specifically talking about um, CIOs or portfolio portfolio managers I'm I've worked with with this um, answer because over the years I've spoken to many that have wanted me to go in to help them launch and you see in some CIOs that um, that they feel that they just need to get anyone in to do the job you know um, because they built their brand and they built a great brand um, but I think the next step for them really and the important next step is to build a team and a business you can't just always work with that one person's legacy or that one person's performance. Because as I said before, very few CIOs can do it year in, year out. There will always be dry patches. And if you can build a strong team by creating the right culture and attracting the right people, and with a startup as well, where costs are everything, making sure that you don't scrimp where possible. Um, it's really tough, especially when you're talking to the CIOs that have put, I know, two, three, four million of their own money down as working capital. Avoiding that churn, getting the right people day one and avoiding that churn and getting people that are aligned to the business and aligned to the purpose of the business and buy into the purpose will create a stronger team and a stronger business and a more successful business. And a business that can perhaps get ahead of market changes, can look to develop new products, new growth areas. Um, there's a saying that um, great teams outperform great products. And I think that's entirely true. I think you, you've fantastically answered the second part of the final question, which is what does success look like? So I think you've really wrapped up nicely what success actually is in a boutique world. So I'll go on to the very final question then is, what's the best part of running a boutique? For me, I, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I've not, uh, I, for as long as I can remember, I'm not talking about when I was five, obviously, <laughs> but um, as long as I can remember, I, I've wanted to be involved in, coming up with the ideas, you know, strategizing how those ideas can grow and where we can work on them, implementing those ideas, obviously not as involved in the implementation as I used to be kind of 10 years ago, but I still like to be involved and then polishing those ideas as well to make sure that they're, they're the best they can be. And that, that's what motivates me um, um, as, an, as an individual. I'm not sure I would be as happy, you know, going into a big bank or a big investment manager where I had um, a more siloed role that just wouldn't get me out of bed in the morning, wouldn't drag me away from my family. Adam, thank you very much. Thank you.